of Numbers, chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. Beginning in verse 1. Numbers chapter 30, verse 1. And Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Also, if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by an obligation in her father's house, in her youth, and her father hears her vow and her obligation by which she has bound herself, and her father says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand. And every obligation by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father should forbid her on the day he hears of it, none of her vows or her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will forgive her because her father had forbidden her. However, if she should marry while under her vows or the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself, and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day he hears it, then her vows shall stand and her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if on the day her husband hears of it, he forbids her, then he shall annul her vow which she is under, and the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. But the vow of a widow or of a divorced woman, everything by which she has bound herself, shall stand against her. However, if she vowed in her husband's house, or bound herself by an obligation with an oath, and her husband heard it, but said nothing to her and did not forbid her, then all her vows shall stand, and every obligation by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband indeed annuls them on the day he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning the obligation of herself shall not stand. Her husband has annulled them, and the Lord will forgive her. Verse 13. Every vow and every binding oath to humble herself her husband may confirm it, or her husband may annul it. But if her husband indeed says nothing to her from day to day, or by the next day, then he confirms all her vows of, her, of all her obligations which are on her. He has confirmed them because he said nothing to her on the day he heard them. But if he indeed annuls them after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt." These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses as between a man and his wife and as between a father and his daughter while she is in her youth and in her father's house. Father, we pray that you will bless the study of your word this morning, bringing us insight and understanding, especially, Lord, to the person of Jesus Christ. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you will teach us your ways and make known to us your thoughts, O Lord that we might learn to walk in them, that we might learn to be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we might live by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now last week we talked about life in the patriarchal period of time, some 1,500 years before Christ. You may recall that. It was a time when a woman lived under the rule of man. 
a time that was not brought on by biblical standards. It was not set up that way so much by God. It was assumed and accepted throughout all the cultures in the world. And those who would have tried to assign the Lord and the Bible to some kind of patriarchal overarching thinking missed the point that that was never God's intention. We talked about that quite a bit last week. The worldwide sentiment was not pro-feminine except in the case of reproduction or slavery or pagan prostitution. In that case, the women were quite useful to the men. Otherwise, not so much. The Bible clearly explains that this is a direct result of the curse which followed the sins of Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3. It would ultimately take the most astounding visitation in the history of the world to completely turn all of that around when Jesus came along bringing an immediate and eternal freedom both to men and to women. Again, we we covered all these things last week. We saw that God's heart towards Zelophehad's daughters was, was open and loving and accepting that he gave them what they asked for. That is their father's inheritance. They had no brothers for the inheritance to pass along to as was the culture. And so they came to Moses and Moses came to the Lord and the Lord said, yes, they should have their inheritance. And along with that inheritance, you may recall, along with that inheritance came great freedom. That's what the inheritance meant. It meant freedom. To choose your own direction. To decide on your life. And as we saw with Zelophehad's daughters, he said, Numbers 36, verse 6, The Lord commanded concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry whom they wish, which was unheard of. But they were daughters of inheritance, and they were able to make those choices because they had freedom and authority and responsibility with the inheritance. The same is true for you and me. Colossians chapter 3 verse 3 tells us you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. And Galatians 3 verse 28 tells us there's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and you are heirs according to promise. You have your inheritance. Now, this morning, you might feel, especially ladies, like we're backtracking a bit. We get here to Numbers chapter 30, and we read about this law of vows, and a woman can make a vow, but if her husband hears it and doesn't like it, he can annul it on the spot. If her father hears it, and she's living in her father's household, and he doesn't like it, he can annul it on the spot. And that sounds a little patriarchal. It sounds a little difficult to understand, and we look at these things and wonder what's going on here. Have we, you know, Zelophehad's daughters made great strides forward for women, but here we are in Numbers 30, and it seems like we're sliding back a bit. What's this truly about? Now, I need to mention that Jim Crouch already taught on this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. And we're going to make that teaching available probably kind of as a companion to this one because he went in-depth into it, verse by verse. And it was excellent. And I highly recommend that you give it a listen. If you weren't able to be with us that night, it was really, really good. And that goes as a companion to what we're going to talk about this morning. We're not going to step on Jim's toes here, but there are some things that I've seen in this chapter that I'd like you to hear and to understand today. Some very specific things. If you're a note taker, there are some things you can jot down. And the first thing is very simply this. Keep your word. Keep your word. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes and the sons of Israel. This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. 
This passage begins with the Lord declaring that when a man gives his word, he must keep his word. You could put it this way, show me a man who keeps his word and I'll show you a man who is in the word. Because that's what the Bible tends to do to us. It reshapes our thinking, it redirects us, it makes us people who keep our word. Who walk with integrity. Why is it that this is so important to the Lord? Because it's exactly what God himself does. He doesn't speak a word without keeping it. The promises of God are absolute. They are, as Paul said in Romans 11.28, irrevocable. In Psalm 138, verse 2, we're told, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. God's word is so important, matters so much, that he even lifts it above his own name as the standard. He is the keeper of his word. He's wonderfully concerned, gang, with the elevation of man, and he wants man to be like him, in that he wants us to behave, to function, to think the way he does, to live like he does. When we make a promise to somebody, to keep it, because that's what he does. Now that should be incredibly encouraging to us, because you can start flipping through your Bibles and covering and finding promises of God, and knowing that they either have been fulfilled or will be fulfilled, he does not miss a thing. He doesn't let a promise go. He wants us to be like Him. Ephesians 2.10 Because we're His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which the Lord prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so the Lord says, keep your word. If you're not going to follow through, don't say you're going to follow through. In fact, Jesus gives us his commentary on this law. He says in Matthew 5.33, You've heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. If you make a promise, keep a promise. But Jesus says, I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, or make it grow back. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. What is Jesus talking about? He's saying, I know what it's like to be human. I walked among you. I know your heart. And I know that as good-hearted as you may be, and as much as you want to do what you say you're going to do, you're probably not going to follow through. So keep it basic. Keep it simple. Just say yes, just say no. How often do we shoot off our mouths only to figure out that later we can't keep our vows? How many times in your life have you said, oh yes, I'll do, I'll do that, I'll be there. How many times I think about it in my own life where I tell my kids, hey, five minutes and I'll be down there to play with you, to mess around, to have some fun, and two hours later I'm still tapping away at the computer. or working away in the yard. How often do we not keep our vows? The Lord says, keep your vows. Keep your vows. Now that's important and it's pretty simple and easy to understand. I think we all can understand the Lord wants us to keep our vows, to keep our word. If we make a promise, follow through, it's that simple. Now the rest of the chapter is interesting to me. Because if you give it a cursory reading, you assume this is about wives and daughters. You assume this chapter is for the women. And in a way it partially is. But it speaks more, listen to me, it speaks more to the men than it does to the women. And they need to hear this. And so, gentlemen, you need to hear this. In fact, if it was Father's Day today, it's next week. This would be a perfect Father's Day study. 
But we don't bind ourselves by the holidays, we bind ourselves by the word. So let's see what happens here. Verse 3. Also, if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by an obligation in her father's house, in her youth, that is, she's a daughter, and her father hears her vow and her obligation by which she has bound herself, and her father says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand. Every obligation by which she's bound herself shall stand. But if her father should forbid her on the day he hears of it, none of her vows or her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will forgive her because her father had forbidden her. Father had a right to nullify his daughter's vows. What's going on here? If a dad decides to do so, under this law, he could look at his daughter and say, you know, I know you made that promise, but uh-uh, we're not, we're not going to do that. Why? There's an assumption made here that father knows best. There's an assumption made here that the dad in the parental role has some understanding of the world, some experience beyond which his daughter, beyond that of his daughter. She hasn't lived the years that he's lived. She doesn't know the things that he knows. And so the father has a responsibility here to cover his daughter. This is not about restrictions for women. This is about the responsibility of the man to cover his daughter to care for her, to protect her, even against rash things that she might say. The Lord is setting up a beautiful thing here. The daughter can go off and make all kinds of commitments and and not even know what she's doing, but dad can always step in and say, no, 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 we're not going to do that, sweetheart. I've got you covered. And you may not understand. You may be giving me that little cross-eyed look that you love to give me, but, and I'm not saying that happens in my house, but I've got you covered. In other words, if, you, if you're taking notes, the first thing we said was keep your word. The second thing is fathers, keep your children. Keep your children. Parents, keep your children. Now listen closely. Protect them. Watch out for them. Because ultimately we've got so little time comparatively to be sure that they are raised up knowing God's word. So little time. Blue collar comedian uh, Ron White. <laughs> He said uh, in a recent uh, thing I was just watching, pretty funny, he said, I'm all for a law requiring child molesters to have warning signs put in their front yards and on their doors after they've been released from prison. I'm all for that. And the crowd crowd clapped and applauded and he said, as a matter of fact, I'm looking for some of those signs because there's some kids I want to keep out of my yard. Keep your kids, moms and dads. Protect them. Watch out for them. And listen to me. You, you are the primary responsibility for them. The school is not. The school is not going to do it. The school is not going to raise up your children in the way they should go. That's not where it's going to happen. The church is not responsible for the raising of your kids. Did you know that? You are responsible. They're your children. The Father has given them to you. We've got all these weird ideas, too, by the way. It's not just protecting our kids from the outside world, from the child molesters and from those who would teach them wrong. It's protecting our children, listen, from themselves. Protecting our kids from themselves. Keeping our kids protected. Where a father can step in and the daughter makes a vow, she doesn't know what she's doing, and he can say, this is not going to stand. No, sweetheart, I'm sorry. I know you think it's best, but you don't know what I know. I am not going to, I'm nullifying the vow. You will not be bound to this. We've got these strange ideas that grew out of the 60s and 70s. Thank you, Dr. Spock. You were great on Star Trek, but not so great with child rearing. (laughs) The idea that we say, let the child raise himself. Let the child grow up and decide what the child wants to do. 
Well, the child doesn't have a clue. Sorry, kids. But I'll tell you what, and with my own children, I've been around quite a bit longer. I've seen things, I've done things, I've experienced things. They have not seen, done, or experienced. They do not know the things I know as a parent. And it's my responsibility to cover them. To cover them. And I love them too much just to let them choose for themselves what they're going to do. Especially in those younger years, guys. Proverbs 22.15 tells us foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And I was one of the most foolish children in the entire history of the world. When I think about the things that I did and the ways that I acted... I'm not, I'm not going to share stories. There, there, just, there are too many. There's one I'm thinking of in particular, but it probably put bad ideas into the, into the hearts and minds of the kids here, so I'm just not going to go there. But it tells us foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Oh, the rod of discipline. Yeah, apply it to the seat of learning. It's a good tool. <laughs> Proverbs 22.6 Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. You lay the foundation. Dads especially. Dads especially. Let me say that one more time. Dads especially. Because we live in a culture that not only says let the kids raise themselves, but we live in a culture that says let the woman take care of the kids. I'm off doing the, you know, the work, the busy stuff. When I get home, I'm too tired to care about the kids. I love the fact that Danny, and I'm just going to pick on him for a minute this morning, Danny stopped playing on worship team for a while because he needed to be with his children on Sunday mornings. Praise God. That's a father saying my kids are more important even than leading worship is. Fathers, it's your responsibility. First and foremost, and I would even place that higher than the mothers, no offense ladies, but we need fathers in the home to raise their kids right. To show them how to live for Jesus, how to love like Jesus, how to be a man in Jesus. Psalm 78 verse 5 says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach their children. That the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, and that they should put their confidence in God. And this was not directed to the schools, and it's not directed even to the church, not even the mothers, it was to the fathers. Raise your kids. Take that responsibility. Be there for them. And again, it's not to let the mothers off the hook. In fact, single moms among us. Your impact can be absolutely huge among your kids because there's not a father present. doesn't mean you just give up and it's over. Oh, well, <laughs> I guess that's not going to happen in our household. No. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, I am mindful of the, of the sincere faith within you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure it is in you as well. Paul says, Timothy, I know who you were raised by. I know who got the word into your heart. It was grandma, and it was mom, and they did a phenomenal job. But the front line of responsibility in the raising of kids is with the parents. It's also, by the way, with each of you individually as parents in this church body. What do you mean, Rick? I mean, I'm inviting you not to stick your noses in when they don't belong, but to care about all the kids in this church, whether you have kids or not. The Lord blesses all of us with all the children who are here. And i got to give you a little commercial. I am so, so thankful that Laura Pierce understands this. Laura is our children's director. 
overseeing it. She's not here right now, which is always great because she can always talk about them behind their back. <laughs> Laura understands this. Laura's in the role that she's in because she knows that it is so critical that our children be raised up in the Lord. And it's the primary responsibility of dad and mom, but also the church needs to come alongside and help. And that's where her heart beats, and you're going to be seeing a lot of things coming out of children's ministry in the short term. So again, parents of first through sixth graders, sign those forms. We need to know who your kids are. But something we need to understand, gang, We need to understand that the role of raising the children in the Lord begins first with the fathers and mothers and then is supported by the fellowship, by the family of Christ. So support each other in this. Now, fathers especially, watch out for your little girls. Read on. Numbers 30, verse 6. However, if she should marry while under her vows or the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day he hears it, then her vows shall stand and her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if on the day her husband hears of it, he forbids her, then she shall annul her vow which she is under and the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself and the Lord will forgive her. So here we get to a wife, no longer the daughter. She's out of the house. She's married. Now the wife. And the Lord turns to the husband and says... Would you guys do yourselves and your marriages a favor and start covering your wives? Would you care about them? Would you stop focusing on yourself so much and focus maybe a little bit more on them so that they feel your protection? They feel your comfort? They feel that you that they are covered? Oh, Rick, that's so anti-feminist. Sorry. <laughs> it's so right on. And I'm not talking about control, and I'm not talking about lording it over. And I know from myself, from personal experience, that when you try to be controlling and you try to lord it over, you lose. (laughs) What I'm talking about is not lording it over, but loving over your wife. Men, protecting. Keep your wives. Husbands, keep your brides. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 tells us it starts off, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. And when we read that, if you hear boss of, then you've missed the whole thing. If you hear that the husband's head of the wife is Christ's head of the church, and so that means he's in charge, he's in control, he is the ultimate authority, and she has no say, then you have missed the heart of God in this. And Paul wonderfully goes on and explains us the heart of God. In verse 25 of Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, the ultimate act of submission, crucifixion on a cross, to show his bride how much he loved her, and as Russ shared this morning, so that his blood would pour out over her and cover her, so that she would be protected. That's how Jesus loves his bride, and that is the example that's given to us in Scripture for husbands to love their wives, to cover them, to care for them. There's an old maritime saying that I think fits these first several verses really well regarding children and wives, and that's women and children first. You want to be the ultimate husband in Christ Jesus, men? Women and children first. Cover them. Protect them. Care for them. Guys, I I can't even imagine how changed our world would be if beginning with our families, 
We place the highest priority of love and protection over our wife and children. If they literally did come first in our lives and everything else paled by comparison, this world would radically change. And so I believe again it starts with the father. It starts with the husband who is willing to submit himself to the Lord and to submit himself to the care and nurture and protection of his wife. That's the attitude of a man of God, women and children first. Women and children first. Verse 9 tells us but the vow of a widow or a divorced woman, everything by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. So for a widow or a divorcee, the covering is not there. They're responsible for their own word. But reading on it says, however, she vowed in her husband's house and bound herself by an obligation with an oath, and her husband heard it, but said nothing to her and did not forbid her. Her vow shall stand. Verse 12, if her husband indeed annuls them on the day he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning the obligation of herself shall not stand. Her husband has annulled them, and the Lord will forgive her. But if indeed... Oh, sorry, every vow and every binding oath to humble herself, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may annul it. That's covering. That's covering. Verse 14, but if her husband indeed says nothing to her from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all her obligations which are on her. He has confirmed them because he said nothing to her on the day he heard them. And all that's to say simply this, that if a husband hears his wife make a vow from one day to the next and he doesn't stop it immediately, then the vow stands. What does that mean? It means husbands need to be engaged in the lives of their wives. Day to day, knowing what's going on, understanding what's being shared and what's being said, involved in their lives. Because otherwise, the wife makes a vow on one day and husband doesn't hear about it until the next day. Well, that's tough. The vow stands. Cover your wives. Cover your wives. Verse 15 goes on and says, and listen to this, But if he indeed annuls them after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses as between a man and his wife, as between a father and his daughter while she's in her youth and in her father's house. Now listen to this. All this is just background to the real study I want to do this morning. (laughs) There's something intriguing and wonderful I want you to see. In the context of last week, I made a comment that we are like Zelophehad's daughters. We had no inheritance, but in Christ we now have an eternal inheritance. And just like those five daughters who received an inheritance, we are allowed to choose, they were allowed to choose whomever they wanted to marry, so we are too. Allowed to choose, because we've been offered, this inheritance has been purchased for us, we are allowed to choose whomever we want to marry. Children of the inheritance are also children who have chosen to, listen to me, chosen to be the bride, and we are the bride. We are the bride by choice. If you're a Christian this morning, you chose to be the bride of Christ. You chose to put yourself under His covering, to come into submission to His will. That's the position you have put yourself in by choice, by the freedom that God has given you. And as the bride, God's got us covered. He's got us covered. So this whole chapter is about covering, covering, protection, the pancake that Russ mentioned during communion. That was a perfect example. I'm sitting back there going, how did he know? The big pancake. And we're covered. And we're protected. That's what the Lord does for us. That's a great graphic there. Just walk around with a pancake on your head. As I read this chapter, I realized once again that there is not a single chapter in the Bible where Jesus doesn't show up. 
He is everywhere. And you know where He is in this chapter? Not just generically. Look at verse 15. If indeed He annuls them after He has heard them, He shall bear her guilt. We've all made promises we couldn't keep. We have all lied out the mouth. We have all lived lives where sin was involved. We have all made stupid decisions. We have all broken vow after vow after vow. And yet, and yet, if he indeed annuls them after he has heard them, he shall bear her guilt. Jesus bears the guilt for everything we've ever done wrong. For every sin we committed. For every vow we broke. For every lie we spoke. Jesus bears the guilt. He covers completely. He removes that from us. No longer am I now responsible for that sin because that sin was paid for at the cross by the blood of Jesus. What is it that he did there? Isaiah 53 verse 12. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the plunder with the strong because he poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin. He himself bore the sin of the many and interceded for the transgressors. Peter, thinking back to what Isaiah wrote, says the following, 1 Peter 2.23, While being reviled, Jesus did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For though you were continually straying like sheep, now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus bears our guilt. He's got us covered. But not only that. Not only does Jesus have us covered, listen, he keeps us covered. And this is something I think a lot of us miss in our Christian life. Come to the Lord. You give your life to Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Wonderful, glorious day. I'm healed. I'm forgiven. I'm covered. All my sins have been washed away. And then we begin to walk out that life. And guilt returns. And struggles return. And sin seeps in. And suddenly we find ourselves in a place where we're wondering if that covering is any good anymore. Not only does Jesus have us covered, He keeps us covered. He keeps us covered. He is the perfect man who keeps His Word. John 1.1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, which is why the psalmist declared he magnified His Word above His name. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. Because He is the Word. The name of God, by the way, denotes kind of who He is, but the Word of God declares His very nature. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His word do I hope. Isaiah 45, 22, Turn to me, says the Lord, and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. I have sworn to myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness, and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, and every tongue will swear. Jesus is the perfect man. He is the perfect man who keeps His word. He also is the loving Father who keeps His children. Now you might say, wait a minute, Rick. In fact, I know Dan would say this. Wait a minute, Rick. I thought God was the Father. If God's the Father, how can Jesus be the Father? Isaiah 9.6 His name, speaking of Jesus, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Father Jesus? Yes. 
He is the perfect Father who keeps His children. Now you might say, okay, how can God and Jesus both be called eternal Father unless they're one and the same? Exactly. And I know that freaks some of us out. And I know the whole idea of Jesus and God being equal and one and all that, it, it, for our little pea brains, it's a little overwhelming. Good. Fathers can sometimes be a little overwhelming for their children, a little imposing. It's a little harder for me to be imposing with Corey because now he sees eye to eye. He's the imposing one. But God is awesome. And John 1 tells us, John 1.12, as many as received Him, speaking of Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were not born of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but born of God. He is the perfect man who keeps His word. He is the perfect loving Father who keeps His children, and He's the loving husband who keeps His bride. A loving husband who keeps His bride. Guys, we have trouble understanding this as well as the ladies do. We have trouble understanding that sense, especially that romantic sense of being the bride who is just doted on by her husband. We don't tend to think in those terms, and yet that's right where we are, every one of us with Jesus. He is that loving husband. He steps up. He intercedes. He says, Father, I realize this sin was committed. I understand this failure occurred, but she really didn't know what she was doing. Isn't that the language of Christ? Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. That's what a parent does. That's what the perfect father does. He looks at his children and says, You made that promise and you didn't know what you were doing. You made that vow and you didn't know what you were doing. And so Jesus intercedes for us, saying, Hey, look, Lord, Father, I've got them covered. The groom has the bride covered. Hebrews 7.25 tells us he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Intercession. Do you understand what that means? That means with every step you and I take, Jesus is going between us and the Father. With every mistake, with every sin, with every failure, and you know as well as I do, this week is going to produce some massive failures in many of our lives. It's going to happen. But when that failure happens, listen, if you are living in Christ Jesus, you know what He does? He intercedes. He stands between. He says, Father, I, I saw that. You don't need to worry about it. I've got Him covered. I've got Him covered. Forgiven past tense, yes. Forgiven right now, every moment by moment by moment by the blood of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. I've got you covered, Jesus says. Christ Jesus who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, intercedes for us. And Paul says in Romans 8, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who can get between us and the covering of Jesus that is over us, that protects us, that never fails us? What a loving husband we have in Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.7 says, So let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And so Jesus is the keeper of His Word. He is the keeper of His children. He is the keeper of His bride. He's got us kept under cover. Now I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 121. We'll end there. Psalm 121. I want to share something with you that I've learned over the last recent years. Um, When I was a youth pastor, 
And I didn't know it at the time. I had no idea. When I was a youth pastor, I was covered in my ministry. I had a covering. I was part, and I especially think back to the church I served in in California, a large church with a large staff, and I was just one of many. I was somewhere in the middle there with, with the full-time staff, and there were some part-time staff under us, and there were others above us. But I was covered. And I didn't realize it at the time, but every time I made a misstep, every time I did something stupid, every time a program kind of failed, I wasn't fired for it. I had a senior pastor of that church who was an amazing man, a loving man, and who provided covering for his staff. He cared about all of us. And I was under that cover. And I didn't realize it at the time, as I said, but I could move and function. I had such incredible freedom. And if I went the wrong direction, he stepped in. He was always there. If the parents were upset, when we did this one time, like just every couple of years we, we did a discussion of sex with the teenagers from a biblical perspective. You know, abstinence and waiting until marriage and talk about all the ramifications. We talk about the diseases and everything else. There was this one time we had this panel discussion. If any of you ever go into youth ministry, do not do a panel discussion with your kids. The questions alone were stunning. But we had lined up in this panel, we had adult leaders, all of whom I thought were going to represent Christ well. We had two people on one part of the panel who were both in their mid-30s, who were both virgins, and I thought, they're going to shine. And we had some others who had made some sexual mistakes in their lives prior to marriage, and it affected negatively their marriages. And that's what I, that was the message I planned to have, uh, have heard by these kids. And one by one, all of these who had had that sexual sin in their lives before marriage began to talk about how wonderful their marriages were now. And the kids were getting this clear picture, this, this wonderful example that, oh, you can mess up before marriage and you'll have a wonderful marriage and that'll be okay. And the two virgins on the end ended up looking like geese. And as the youth pastor, I'm standing in the back of the room going, this is it, I'm done, I'm fired, I'm out of here, I'm history. All these kids are going to go home and tell their parents that Rick said it's okay to do whatever they wanted. It was, it was awful. It was so bad. And the following week, the phone calls started coming into the church. I'm telling you, we had like ten phone calls from parents who were really upset about what was taught. And the senior pastor stepped in. And I was covered. And we fixed that whole situation the next week. We fired a bunch of adult leaders. No. (laughs) But I realize now, looking back, that I was covered. And I tell you this because, and I've got to be really transparent here for a minute. It's hard not to have that covering sometimes. And I'm not, you know, I've got to be careful. I'm not asking for sympathy or, ooh, poor Rick, this is not covered. We've got to cover it. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I have our elders who cover me and who love me and who are a great, great encouragement to me. But it's hard. It's hard knowing when you stick your neck out there that there's not immediately someone who's just going to cover you up. And I was struggling with this, and this is recent, about a month ago or so, I'm praying about this and thinking about this. And I said in prayer to the Lord, Lord, where's my covering? Where's my covering? And I came in a few days later, sat down, and I listened to Jim teach about covering and make the connection that Jesus is our covering. And I just went, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Now listen, before I read the rest of it, any of you who feel uncovered, 
You may feel naked and bare in the world. You may feel like you have no protection. You may feel lost and alone and wondering, how am I possibly going to get through from one day to the next? Listen, Lord, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He made the heaven and the earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Memorize that. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in. From this time forth and forever, the Lord who keeps His word will keep His children. He will keep His bride. He's got us covered. Let's pray. Father, what an awesome and wonderful blessing Your covering is. Lord, there are so many situations that I, I just come to mind right now. People in our fellowship, people who are struggling with, with loss or with disease or with emotional things going on. People who are, who are looking at, at moving, at, at life change. People who are, have walked through minefields of struggle over the last couple of years. People who are out in the wilderness and Lord, together we cry out, where's our covering? And it's you. And it's you. And my dear Lord, I pray that you will restore to us that covering, that sense that you never left. That promise that you would keep us and hold us. Father, cover us. And may we walk under the shadow of your wing, the protection of your covering, knowing that we are kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are not someone who has committed their life to Jesus this morning, oh, I just I beg you to do so, to get under the cover. As we pray, your family, isn't it absolutely wonderful? That Jesus poured out his blood for us to cover us before we chose him. And that's the way it is for all of us. If you want Jesus in your life, understand he died long before you were born to prove to you he loved you, that you might receive and accept his covering. And if you want to be covered by Jesus this morning, pray with me. Lord, I am a sinner. I'm a child who makes mistakes. I'm a child who fails. I'm a child who sins. And I want to be covered by you. And so Jesus, I believe that you died to take my place, to bear my sins and to cover me. And I receive and accept you as my Lord now and as my Savior. And ask that you would cover me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.